0: engaged in and I'm greatly appreciative of that and if you're not a familiar with the ministry that I'm in the short and simple of it is I help pastorless churches and churchless pastors so for 11 months of last year I was the interim pastor at West Park Baptist Church in Ozark, Arkansas and I helped get the church up on their feet they didn't have any deacons, they didn't have any elders, they didn't have a constitution, they didn't have a church membership, they didn't really have anything. And the Lord used me to get some things in place and spend nearly a year there with them. And then in September they called Russell Threat, uh to be their pastor. And he's been there since September and he's been a good fit. The church is doing well, Russell's doing well and I'm unemployed. So your monthly support is now what I'm living on. That's gone into a bank account, but it's not just money that I live on. Um, I was also able to send a pastor home to see his family for the holidays. A pastor and some children hadn't seen their folks in two years. And I said, that's not right. And uh, so I had some extra money in my ministry account, so... We covered all their travel expenses, and I went and preached for him so he could take off and go home and see his mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and have a, a holidays there for a, a change. And then, of course, every summer I host the Preachers of Grace Conference. And last year we had almost 50 preachers there. We give all of these preachers, a, uh, them and their wives, we give them all their own motel room, we provide all their meals We give them a stack of books. We do this over the course of three days. And it gets pastors together. It's how preachers make friends. And so um, that's another ministry that I'm engaged in. And none of that, none of that would be possible without your faithful support. And I'm appreciative of that. I want you to think about the text that was read this morning in Acts chapter 5. If you want to open your Bible up, I'll just be dealing with a little phrase in verse 20. Somebody told me one time that I preached too long, so I didn't change my style of preaching. I just took less text to deal with. The only way to shorten your preaching is to shorten the text that you're dealing with. So I want to deal with this little phrase in Acts chapter 5 and verse 20. Tom read this verse. I'll read this verse again. Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. I want to deal with that little phrase, all the words of this life. And since we put sermons on the internet, we have to come up with titles. You know, I've spent more time wrestling over titles than I have over my outline. I come up with what I thought was a good sermon, but I could never settle on a title for it. But I've titled this one, The Christian Life. The Christian Life. And I got to thinking about it. We don't hear much about the Christian life anymore. I really believe that when the angel told them to go speak all the words of this life, I want you to notice what happened earlier in chapter 5. Two people in the church wanted to seek preeminence. They had taken a piece of property that belonged to them and sold it. Evidently, they got a pretty good price for it. And Barnabas had sold some land earlier in chapter 4 and he gave all the money of the sale. And so Barnabas got his name in the book of Acts. And so this couple named Ananias and Sapphira said, you know, they might put our name on a pew or a pulpit or they might anoint some holy table in the church and put our name on it if we give all the money for the sale of our property to the church. Problem was... They told everybody they gave all the money from the sale of the property to the church, but they kept back enough to buy a four-wheeler and a bass boat. Now, that's in the new uh, modern standard translated for English version. Now, really, I don't know what they did with the money, but they lied to the church, and they said, this is all the money we got from the sale of Grandma's farm but they kept some back for themselves. What they wanted was the recognition of being a big giver without being a big giver. You know what God did to these people, Ananias and Sapphira? He struck them dead in the church. Boy, I used to say I want to die preaching. Then I got to thinking, they'll think I've done something wrong. I don't want to die of preaching. I want to die in my sleep. After Ananias and Sapphira died, the Bible says, and the rest durst not join them. Nobody said, let's go down there to First Baptist Jerusalem see what they're doing tonight. No, people die down there. Their God's real. Nobody joined them. They were scared to death to go to church because that God's real. He's serious. But sick people started coming out in the streets, as Tom read, hoping that the shadow of Peter would pass over them. And everybody that passed by them was healed. All of them were healed, were healed, were healed. God was symbolizing that He had the power to give life and He had the power to take it away. And this was His church and no man could disprove that God was doing something here the world couldn't duplicate Here's what happens. The angel says, you go down to the temple in Jerusalem and you stand in there and you don't say heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around the room tonight. Could you be bold and just slip your hand up? No. The angel of the Lord said, you go down there and you preach all the words of this life. You preach the healing and you preach the killing. That's what we're missing today. We're missing a balanced gospel message on the whole Christian life. We got Olsteen down here in Texas telling everybody how to get rich and be happy because you you believe in God, therefore you're going to get everything that you possibly want. Then we've got all these little small groups over here making themselves out to be a martyr. What I'm saying is the churches today could be lumped into two categories, evangelism and legalism. We either got all grace or we got a rule book. Have you ever gone out to eat after church on a Sunday? I know some people think that's a sin. I don't. I can spot church folks, can't you? Here come the Church of Christ. No makeup on them. Oh, here come the Pentecostals. You know, here I can spot them. What makes us a Christian? Our outward look? Do we all need to get Amish beards? Black hats? What makes us a Christian? That's the words that I want to talk about. That's the Christian life. I believe in once saved, always saved. But I don't believe in once prayed, always saved. Now, I happen to be in a time in Christian history where people would say, now friend, if you prayed that prayer, we believe you got born again. I don't believe you got born again. I have no idea if you got born again. I have no idea if what you prayed had any being or caring with God. I don't know about that. Simply repeating some magical words doesn't make you a Christian. If you understand all the words of this life, there are three things that are going to be evident in your life. Number one, I've only got three points, so you can kind of keep track and gauge about when the crock pot will be full and the roast will be done. The new birth. All the words of this life include a new birth. If there's no new birth, there's no new life. Now let's think for just a moment about a new birth. I was listening to a podcast last night driving down here and some preachers was on there pontificating, talking, getting all theological and deep and one of them said, you know, people talk about the miracle of birth. It's really not a miracle at all. It's normal. That's just what happens. That's natural. I was like, no, I think it's pretty miraculous. Miraculous. I know it's normal. I know it happens. I I, I know what what it takes for a baby to be born, but I still think it's miraculous. Do you realize that salvation is normal and natural? And it, it happens and we know what it takes to be saved, but it's just as miraculous, if not more so, than the birth of a new life. Let me ask you a question. Anybody in here today, you can raise your hand. We won't even call you Pentecostal. Anybody in here today, pick their parents. Anybody pick their mom and dad? Did anybody in here pick the period in time in which they would be born? People said, preacher, you're born too late and you should have been born in the 1800s. I agree. But for a time such as this is when I was born. I didn't get to pick 1975. I didn't get to pick Harold and Patty Smith of Greenwood to be my parents. Anybody pick the place they were born? All this happened without your consent. Every bit of your birth happened and you had no say-so in it at all. Then why does Jesus Christ say this? You must be born You didn't pick the first birth. What makes you think you're picking the second birth? I'm not saying you don't have a hand in this. I'm not saying that man's not a responsible being and God's commanded all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. But here's what I am saying. We live in a time on the earth where people equate salvation to the work of man and not the work of God. We've boiled it down and made it so easy a caveman can do it. I have a family member, their daughter was four years old, riding in the car seat in the back of the car, and they were going to Fort Smith, where I live at, if you want to get something, you have to go to Fort Smith. They was riding to Fort Smith, vacation Bible school was going on, the girl was four, and she said, mom, I can get saved right now, and she said, no, you can't. She said, I can too. They told us at Bible school, I can get saved right now. And she said, what are you talking about? She said, all I have to do is pray this prayer and I get saved. And she said, well, don't don't pray the prayer right now. Let's go talk to the preacher. She said, no, no, I'm going to do it right now and you can't stop me. And she said, don't, don't pray the prayer. Now, what parent tells their kid, don't get saved? Don't get, no, don't you do it. Don't you get saved? And she said, Mom, you can't do nothing about it because you're driving and I'm in the back seat. And she repeated the sinner's prayer that she had heard the day before. And lo and behold, her mom and dad said she got saved against their will. Now does that sound like the Spirit of someone who has been slain by a holy God and their sins have been revealed to them and they recognize themselves as undone and they need a God to come and grant them mercy and pick them up and cover their sins with the blood of Christ. Does that sound like a four-year-old knows what's going on when she prayed the sinner's prayer? What that girl did in the back seat and what her mom was talking about ain't got nothing to do with what's in this book. You know why? We ain't preaching all the words of this life. We're just preaching evangelism or legalism. You can boil it down to one of two. I hear all the time about new techniques to grow our church. I read that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Why do we get new techniques? Southern Baptist Convention's all upset, their baptismal numbers are down. I heard a preacher say this. We're going to do something even if it's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. You know what's happening here, friend? We're not preaching what the angel told the apostles to go and preach all the words of this life. And it starts with the new birth, it doesn't start with new techniques. We don't need some new way to attract more people. We don't need some new way to grow our church. There's no secret uh, pathway or some new idea to reach a new culture and a new generation to get them into baptistry. I hear pastors today bemoaning the lack of people who want to be discipled. I've heard this a number of times in a number of conferences and sermons, conversations with preachers. I can get them saved, but I just can't get them discipled. The reason you can't get them discipled is because they're not saved. Let me ask you a question. I see a lot of kids in here. i got a couple of my own, 24 and 21 years old. You know what happened with them kids? They born, we was talking about it earlier, they weighed, both of them weighed just over 8 pounds. Well, they're full grown now. You say, well, Brother Harold, what's the secret to making a baby grow up and get big and walk upright? Move out and get a job and have their own family. What's the secret to that? I, I don't know. They just did. You mean you didn't have to stretch them kids? My son's nearly six foot tall. I didn't have to stretch him out. I didn't have to say, now get up every morning, son. You reach for the stars and you'll get tall. No, we put food in front of him. He ate all he could eat and he crawled in the icebox and ate in there and he was all the time eating. It was natural. He grew up. Then why in the world do we think that someone gets saved, has no appetite for spiritual food, never grows, lives their whole life as a spiritually immature baby Christian and we think they were born again. We ain't preaching all the words of this life. We're not preaching a new birth. Because the new birth is a supernatural work. When I say we, I don't mean all preachers. I don't mean Bruce and Tom. I'm talking about Christianity in America today It's not preaching the new birth that is a miraculous work of God in which God enters into the soul of man through the power of the Holy Spirit and gives to him in exchange his wicked sin for Jesus Christ's righteousness, declares him right in God's standing, places his love upon him, matures him, nurtures him, disciplines him, chastens him, and brings him up and he grows in the Lord. We don't, we're not hearing that in American pulp pits today you find a church that will tell that story you stay there because there's not many of them doing that the Christian life has a new birth number two the Christian life has a new book Christian life has a new book I want you to think about this for a moment before you was a Christian what dictated what was in style and what wasn't For you as a Christian, how did you decide what was acceptable and what wasn't? I listened to a couple of guys talk on a podcast the other day, weren't Christians. A couple of pretty rotten guys, I mean, just filthy speech. Selfish, prideful. You know what both of them said to each other? But we're really good people. We're really good people. I was like, no you're not been married multiple times you promiscuous you stayed unmarried you're talking about all the different women you've known you're talking about all the drugs that you've done you've got filthy rotten language you think you're something special and you think you're a good person do you know who told them they were a good person the world told them they looked around at the worst examples in the world and said we're not that guy we're not this guy we're good people Who tells you how to cut your hair other than your wife? Who tells you how to cut your hair? Who tells you what clothes to buy? The world does. The world does. We see what the people around us do and we say, that's what I want to do. The world knows this. That's why we have commercials. Everything has a commercial attached to it. You want to be healthy. You want to be happy. You want to look good. You want to have lots of friends. Do this. But here's what happens. We're born doing that. We're born looking around. We want to see what the cool kids in school do. We want to sit at the cool kids' table. Maybe you were at the cool kids' table and you looked around to see what everybody else was looking at you. But when you get born again, you go back to this new birth. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And in this new life, with this new birth, you have a new book. You have the Bible now that's going to dictate and tell you how you're to live your life. I want to be real careful here, and I think I've developed a simple way to explain what the Bible is. The Bible is not a rule book. It's a role book. Change the U to an O, and you've got the Bible right. The Bible is not a list of do's and don'ts. The Bible's a list of done. Christ has done it all. He's paid it all. It's finished. When He said it was finished, it was finished. You say, Well, Brother Harold, I don't understand what you're saying. I'm saying. The world's in two camps. Christianity's in two camps. It's the evangelism. Everything's about boiling it down so simple that we can get numbers. Or it's legalism where nobody's holy but us. And I'm here to tell you that when you have a new birth, you become a new person, you now have a new book. The book does tell you what's acceptable. It does tell you how to live your life. But it doesn't do it in such a way that you are constantly saying, is this permissible, is it not? Preachers... Real tempting to say, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this is right. If you're like us, you're right. If you're not like us, you're probably wrong. From the Bible, we learn who the Father is. From the Bible, we learn who the Son is. From the Bible, we learn who the Spirit is. From the Bible, we learn how to live pleasing to God. It's not a book of how to get what you want. Somebody said one time, most Christians today treat the Bible like a magic eight ball. You remember the magic eight ball? Some of you is old enough to remember the magic eight ball. You remember the magic eight ball back in the 70s and 80s? you shake it up and ask it a question. you turn it over and you got yes, no, maybe, ask again later. I'm here to tell you. People would ask the magic eight ball, should I get married to this woman? Should I marry? I'm like, you're asking a kid's toy how you're going to dictate your life? Well, here's what the Christian does. He he, he prays a little prayer. He gets saved. He goes, oh, the magic eight ball's all wrong. I got this book now. Uh, What college should I go to? Should I buy this house or not? And they're just flipping all, off. it doesn't tell me these things. No, it tells you who the Father is. It tells you who the Son is. And it tells you who the Spirit is. There with these three, you can triangulate down and figure out who you are. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. I don't care where you go to college. I don't care where you buy your house. I don't care about any of those things. It tells you who to look for in a wife, but it doesn't give you her name. You find one that meets those qualifications, you be a Christian husband, y'all will stay married till the Lord comes back. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a book of rules, it's a book of roles. Learn who you are, learn who God is, you'll have no trouble serving Him. I want to answer the question. Why is Bible study so unpopular? I've never been here on a Wednesday night, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and just take venture a guess. There won't be this many people here Wednesday night when all we have is Bible study. Any of you Wednesday night lifers, veterans, want to? Am I right or wrong on this? Well, some of you is giving me that. Don't don't bring up the Wednesday night stuff. Bachelorettes on on Wednesday night. I wonder how in the world. Churches go empty on a Wednesday night when all we do is open the Bible, pray and study it. I have an answer for that. There's not as many people that have been born again as we think there are. If you got born, you came out of that womb crying, there wasn't no time you was ready to eat. When they cut the cord, the stomach started working. When you're born again, did your spiritual stomach not work? I think they've proved this to be scientifically not necessary anymore. But if a child wouldn't cry and breathe when it was born, they'd spank him. Remember that? I don't think they do that anymore. I think they tickle them or something now. But if I were to quit spiritually breathing and quit spiritually eating... My heavenly Father would do what was best for me. He'd give me a little spiritual spanking. Did your parents ever say you eat what's on your plate? Did your parents ever say you finish that before you get up and go play? Why wouldn't your heavenly Father, if you're born from above and He's your Father and He loves you and He wants you to grow up and become big and strong and sing onward Christian soldier and not lie about it. Why wouldn't He say, you get down there and study your Bible. That's how you're going to grow up and be big and strong. Now look, don't throw a hymnal at me. I know there's reasons you can't come to church on a Wednesday night. There's no reason why you can't open the Bible up and read it every day. Boy, if you can pull that phone out, start doing all this stuff. I went to the doctor's office the other day. Everybody in there doing this right here. Reached over there and could have wrote damned in the, in the Gideon's Bible sitting on the shelf. You know, that's what Charles Spurgeon said. Most Christians have enough dust on their Bible to write that they're damned to hell in the dust. We got this. We can keep up with Facebook and TikTok and Instagram and YouTube, Spotify. We can go all through them. We got no appetite for this. Why is that, preacher? No new birth, no new book. If salvation is by the book, it will give you an appetite for the book. I love to tell the story. For those that know it best, seem hungry and thirsting to hear it like the rest. If that hymn is true, then we who are born again ought to have an appetite and a desire to learn more about that birth. Number three, if you're keeping count, we're near the end. Number three, we have a new birth, a new book, we have a new body. And I, I started not to use new body because when you say new body, here's what everybody's saying. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. This back ain't going to hurt no more, preacher. I ain't going to be up for in eternity forever with a bad back and a bum knee. No, we're not. But what about the body we have on earth? Not this fat one that I'm clothed in. What about the body called the church? The corporate body. You see, when we become a Christian, we're born new and we have a new book that we consume. We have a new body or a new family, or we might say it this way, a new brotherhood in which we belong to. You see, when we are born again, the church is not optional. The church is essential. There's no other way around it. Church is not something that we can choose to go to or not go to. Church is designed for us. Church is given to us. Church is a gift from God that we grow and have support. You know the phrase, one another, occurs 70-something times in the New Testament. Somebody said, well, it doesn't say in the Bible you have to go to church to be a Christian. No, you don't. But you wouldn't be a very good one if you didn't. Why, why so, preacher? Because the New Testament is literally filled with, and if you read the book of your role, here's what you'll discover. You can't love one another. You can't serve one another. You can't greet one another. You can't bear with one another. You can't encourage one another. You can't exhort one another if you're not around one another. It's an impossibility. When you neglect gathering with the saints of the Lord in the church of God, here's what you do. You violate 79 New Testament commands. So if we're going to make this a rule book, you broke 79 of them. If we're going to make it a roll book, get in church. God will straighten out all the details. You show up. You love people. You know what you'll find out? I accidentally submitted to one another. I accidentally loved one another. I didn't mean to, but I accidentally encouraged one another. And they encouraged and supported and submitted to me. Not because I was checking. I did that. I did that. I'm going to make it. I get up there and Peter gives me the test. I'm going to pass. Nobody's getting into heaven because Peter has the keys. Everybody that enters heaven is because they have Christ. The new body is listed here as a body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Some of you is like, this is not a very expository sermon. Well, I'm going to read a lot of verses here for you and tide you down. Maybe you can make it till the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 12 through 22 with minimal commentary. I'll let the Bible be my commentary on the new body. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews... Or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the head, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? Now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased Him. Who put you in the body? Christ. When did He do that? At new birth. New birth. You got a new body. You're part of it. Verse 21 The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. I want you to think about what I just read. Paul said that all of us are part of the same body. And the more feeble, the smaller, insignificant members, we might think we can get by without them. We need them. As a Christian, you have a spot in this church, you have a responsibility here that you feel that others don't. The foot can't say, I don't need the head. He'd walk off a cliff. If everybody's an eyeball, who's doing the listening? Everybody wants to be the mouthpiece, don't they? Here's the thing. I hear Christians all the time say, well, I don't have to go to church. No, you don't. You can get God up and get Him after you and get you a whipping if you want to. I'd prefer to go to church. Not because the Bible's a book of rules, but because that's my role as a Christian. I'm coming here not to take, but to give. I want to be a part. I may only be the big toe of the church, but you watch a fellow that loses his big toe walk. He ain't running. That, That big toe's important in the way you take a step. You may say, well, I'm just not much, I can't do much, don't have a lot of gifts. If you're the big toe, you're what's keeping the church walking the straight line without limping. Doctors will say you can live without your gallbladder. Talk to someone that don't have theirs, ask how their life is. They're living without it. They live differently than they did when they had it. All these things we think we can live without, we can but not the way we're intended to. I'm telling you, the Christian life has a new birth, a new book, and a new body. COVID revealed what kind of body the church is. Somebody said COVID killed the church. I said, no, COVID just poked a dead church and said, yep, they're dead. didn't kill it what happens in the movies when they find a dead body they usually shake them and they don't move when we think we're dreaming we say poke me I'm dreaming pinch me I'm dreaming uh, that's all COVID did it pinched a church and said nope it's dead didn't kill it just showed that it was dead you say brother Harold I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't share your views on COVID that's okay I've had it three times I've lost loved ones to COVID Okay? Uh, they've died. I've done funerals of people that died with COVID. But when I look back at this book of role models, I see people that were crucified upside down in order to go and be a part of the body. I see people that were uh, lowered down in a den of lions because they was a part of the body. I see people that had their heads cut off and were beaten because they wanted to be a part of the body. You can't get this on Facebook. You can't get this on the internet. You can't read your Bible at home and do what we do here, loving and caring for one another. The whole entire churches now. Don't even meet anymore. We learned how to have church in our pajamas on the couch. No you didn't. You created some new group that's not found in here. I've been born again. I've got a new book and now I'm part of a new body and that ain't it. The gospel you believe doesn't land you squarely in a church. It's a false gospel. The product of the gospel is not merely to get us into heaven. The gospel is to save us from our sins and that starts the moment that we believe. And we live our life out on this earth to be a witness to the world around us that we're pilgrims on a journey. We're sojourners heading to a city. We're like Abraham who was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. He was wandering all over the desert, but that wasn't his home. God saved us through the shed blood of Christ so that we could wander all over this earth, let all these possessions go, not wear ourselves out trying to get a bunch of junk to die with the most toys. We go all over this world saying, we've got a Redeemer who saved us from the curse of sin and when we die, we shall forever be with Him. Look at us now. That's what it means to preach the Christian life. These fellows walked out of prison said, hey, come join us. We're probably going to get beaten for the day's over with. Come join us. Boy, you don't get that in door-to-door evangelism. Would you like to come get beaten with us? We're going to be going down to church and get arrested. That's this life. Imagine Peter, John, Matthew... The apostles standing in the temple and saying now you guys just believe what we're talking about don't tell nobody you keep being a Jew you keep coming down here keep offering these sacrifices keep, keep serving in the temple keep doing all just don't tell anybody what's in your heart okay be our little Christian secret Is that not what we're hearing today from people who profess to be Christians? Have you attended the funeral service of a so-called Christian? Rottenest man in our town died here not too long ago. Awful. His family said he's awful. Preacher got up and preached him all the way into heaven. He wasn't fooling Nobody except a bunch of people who were also fooled, thinking they were going to heaven. Well, if he's going, I'm going. I'm not as bad as him. We're good people. The only people on this earth that's going to tell the Christian life are the people in this room, if they're genuinely Christian. I believe you are. I didn't come here this morning to scare you and making make it another commitment. But I did come here with the hopes and prayers that if you weren't living the Christian life, you'd be convicted about it. A sermon without some convictions, just a book report. I didn't come here to give a book report. I came here to show you what the apostles did. I came here to show you what Christians do. I came here to lay out for you and say, this is what Christianity looks like. A new birth, a new book, a new body. Is that you? Can you recount your birth? You remember who you was before you got born again? You can't say that with your real birth, can you? But if you've been born again, you know who the old man is. You got an old man? You've been born again. You've got the old flesh still hanging around. If you can recount your birth, Tell me about your relationship with the Bible. My mother grew up Catholic. She got a scholarship to Oklahoma Baptist University. Her parents were both dead. Her older brother had adopted her and the kids that were still at home. And they couldn't afford to send my mother to college. My mother graduated second in her class and got a full scholarship to Oklahoma Baptist University. And at Oklahoma Baptist University, somebody said, Come go to church with me. My mother had never been in anything but a Catholic church, been in Catholic school up until senior year. She said, I walked into a room with a bunch of people carrying Bibles. She said, We had one Bible. It was open to the 23rd Psalm, and it sat on the coffee table, and nobody read it. It was for looks. I went to the Catholic church. Nobody read their Bible. They read the book of prayer. They read the liturgy. Nobody read their Bible. We read about Catholic rules. We read about do's and don'ts. We learned all these things we were supposed to repeat. Nobody carried a Bible. She said, lo and behold, this man walked up in the pulpit and laid down a Bible and started reading it. She said, for the first time in my life as a freshman in college, I heard the Bible being read. How's your relationship with the Bible? Is it right on your dash back and forth to church? Or does it rest in your heart in daily reading? Recount your birth, your relationship with the Bible. How about your role in the body? What are you doing here? See, Bruce might not have me come back, so I've got to get it all in in one sermon. Y'all might not have me back. Just don't throw rocks at me when I leave. What are you doing here? What's your job around here? Brother in the sound booth, they said, this guy runs the sound, yeah, I remember him. This guy does this, yeah, I remember him. This guy, hey, I remember him. What's your role in the church? You don't have to have some official title. You don't have to have a name tag, I'm this guy or that guy. What is it that God has gifted you to do in your new birth what is the thing that you're good at? Some people are just born good at stuff. You've got natural football players. You've got natural wrestlers. You've got natural basketball players. Yes, these things require work. Yes, they require training. But I can train till the Lord returned and I've never dunk a basketball. Some people are naturally gifted to do that. In the church of Christ... Everyone that's been born again is naturally gifted to do a work in the church. It may be hospitality, it may be encouragement, it may be exhortation, it may be service, it may be humility, it may be in some official capacity. What is it? If you tell me you're a Christian and you tell me you live the Christian life, what's your role in the body? Now let me give you a word of caution before I close. All this starts with a new birth that's miraculous. How many times have I heard, I'm going to come down to that church, I'm going to clean my life up. No, you're not. I need to just start being honest with people. When they start telling me they're going to come to church and they're going to turn over. No, you're not. You might try for six months. You might try for five years. You might fool your wife for a while. You might fool your kids for a while. But if you've not been born again, this ain't no fun to you. You didn't come to hear this this morning. When's this guy going to shut up? I'm ready to eat. You can't skip the new birth. You can't just start reading your Bible and mold yourself into a Christian. You can't come to church and turn over a new leaf. You must repent of your sins and believe the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins. If you don't start with that, none of the rest of this will make any sense to you. Now I fully expect that most of you are Christians. It's a good church. I know what's preached in this pulpit. I know the pastors here. I know the people here. I've known some of you for years. You're good Christian people. You give all evidence of salvation. It's like, we believe all that. Let me ask you this. Do you know somebody that says they believe all that, but don't live any of that? You know somebody that says, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they don't live the Christian life? You know somebody that one time prayed a prayer but never gave any evidence that something happened? Some of you is nodding your head. I don't know if you've caught on, but if I think you understand what I'm saying, I move faster through the sermon. This is an old Baptist secret. Bruce has been keeping this from you. If you agree with the preacher and you nod your head, he'll say, oh, they got it, point number three. You say, Brother Harold, Yeah. I've got some kids that made a profession of faith in this church. They ain't been here in years. They don't read their Bible. Yeah, brother, hell, my aunt, my uncle, my mom, my dad, my neighbor, my best friend, my co-worker. They claim to be a Christian. They think they're okay. They don't have no interest in God. They don't have no interest in the Bible. They don't have they they suffer through church three or four times a year. Let me give you some advice. If you know somebody like that, don't try to guilt trip them into reading their Bible. Don't try to guilt trip them into coming to church. Give them the gospel. I said this all starts with a new birth and everybody said amen. But when we talk to people who ain't acting like Christians and have it in years, we say, why don't you come do this? Why don't you come do this? Why don't we approach them like this and say, you need to repent of your sins and believe that Jesus Christ died on them. Oh, I've done that. No, that's not a past tense thing. That's an ongoing thing. I repented a long time ago. And then I repented and I repented and I repented and I repented and I got up this morning and I was staying over here in the motel and I got down on my knees and I thought about what I'd done yesterday. And you know what I did? I repented again. And I got a three and a half hour drive home. I bet you I need to repent when I get there. Why? Because I'm a sinner. But I've got this going for me. My sins have been forgiven because I believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He died in my place. And even though I fight against sin every day, I know that as a Christian, I want to have victory over sin. And I want to go to heaven and I want to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not because I checked a bunch of boxes, but because Christ died for me. And you need to tell these people, this this whole prayer initiative that you've got, praying for the lost people, that's the greatest thing I've heard in months. If if, if salvation is a miraculous work where God rebirths somebody, then it ain't going to happen unless God does it. You have not because you ask not. So I encourage you, pray, pray, pray. But share the gospel. Christian life's not written in the stars. Christian's life's not painted on rocks. Christian life is carried out by men who got out of prison and went into the temple and said, This is what a Christian is. Come join us. I pray that's true of you, and I pray you'd carry that message to those that need to hear it. Brother Tom.